The best thing that we could ever possibly do is to keep our minds as believers in Jesus Christ focused on the mercy and the grace of God. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Bible on this Friday. It is absolutely amazing. And I'll tell you, as we study the Bible for 33 years, it is fascinating. Now, Corey is here. We're going to do that in five minutes, but Corey is here. Corey, what's going on? You know, I was reading Psalm 104, and I think it may have inspired a famous ancient builder. More on that later. Ryan? All right. Well, also in Psalm 104, verse 25, we read about sea creatures, both great and small. And so today we're going to take a close-up look at a tiny little sea creature to showcase the amazing handiwork of the Creator God. Good, Janice. It's our Friday wrap-up question. It's going to be anywhere from Psalm 73, woohoo, all the way to Psalm 104. I hope you're ready. Psalm 101. I will sing of mercy and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Psalm 101 Psalm 101, 102, 103, and 104. This is amazing. I love the Psalms. You know, it was the Psalms that I read when I came to know the Lord early on. Very interesting. I'm a preacher's kid. And I had all the best sermons. No sermon could save me, but certainly Psalms did. When I began to read it, Psalms and Proverbs. And every day we are faced with multiple decisions about how to act and how we react. Now, often I say that it is easy to act like a Christian, but it's harder to react like a Christ follower. Reactions happen fast. So they often reveal what we are really like. It's much easier for us when we have time to think about our decisions and our responses. Isn't that great if you can think about it? If you could stop time and think about it. But it's not all bad news, though. When we give ourselves to follow Christ as our Savior, God begins His work inside of us. And we can help ourselves along by faithfully spending time with God in prayer and reading his word. Our willingness to follow God and our discipline to spend time in his things, to get our lives ready to grow, 
our willingness and discipline can give the Holy Spirit permission to move and to work in us. As God helps us and grows us, our reactions, reactions begin to change and flow in new ways. Our hearts and minds can be renewed in God. This is one of the reasons that I love the music of Psalm 101. This is a great psalm. It tells us how to learn and understand the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts. This is absolutely stunning. Now take your Bible guide. If you don't have one, I would say, why not? Turn to today's passage. And let me just simply say that when you do that, if you don't have a Bible guide, you can write to us or you can call us. If you're watching the first time, good to see you. And, or you can simply go online to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on the Bible guide. It'll take you to a donate page. And I want to say thank you for your donations. And then it takes you to a page. You can download it exactly how we printed it for your computer and have it. Uh, and a lot of people have done that. And uh, I would encourage you to do that as well. So you're seconds away, literally. But get a hold of a Bible guide. Now today, everyday decisions. Now people make decisions every day. And I make decisions every day. Even though I'm not aware of it, I do. I get up, I have things in my mind, but I need to, to make right decisions, not just decisions. My decisions need to be right because I am a Christian or a Christ follower. So doing that, I need to pay attention. And Father, today, I ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit to come into my heart and our hearts, help us to read the scripture and see what you've said to us, because this is important for us to hear and to know. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, this is a really interesting passage from Psalm 101. And it says, I will sing of the mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I love the first verses in these, these passages. Verse 2, I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? Now, this is interesting. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. That seems like that's kind of a strong statement. But keeping our hearts tuned to the mercy and praise of God is a wise way to live. We should focus our attention on God every single day. Do you want to know one of the problems that we have as believers is we don't think that way. We get up and say, we just got to get to work. We got to go do this, go do that. But, but we need to think when we get up and get ready and shower and brush our teeth, whatever we do, we need to say, okay, Lord, I need to read your word. I need to pray and I need to think every day because I'm going to be faced with decisions that I might not be ready for. And I'm going to have to react. So help me, Lord, today on this day, help me to get myself aimed in your direction. Very, very important. Now, as we think about that, let's go to Psalm 101, verse 3. Here's what it says. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. The psalm says this. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall not depart from me. I will not know wickedness. This is stunning. You see, we must choose to put away things 
that are wicked. This world has a culture of sin that we must choose against. What am I talking about? Think about your work and think about going to the stores and think about all the places that you interact with people. And you'll understand that there is a culture of sin. Now, as Christians, we are people who are involved in things that are not sinful and we try our best and God is helping us. We, we need help, so God helps us. So when we respond correctly in the attitudes of Jesus Christ, when we respond that way, things begin to shift and change. That's interesting. We, we do that by not involving ourselves on the internet or with anything in front of us of wickedness or bad pictures, gentlemen, or bad pictures or bad copy ladies. It's very important that we understand that. We have to make the decision to do the right thing because God is watching. Not because we want to be, you know, punished by God, but because God knows. We have to allow his Holy Spirit in our life. Very interesting. Psalm 101, verse 5. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall not be on the faithful of the land. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy all the wicked of, my la of the land that I may cut off all of the evildoers from the city of the Lord. That's an interesting passage. We must be wise and purposeful in fellowship. Friends need to be chosen carefully because we become, we may become like them. And oftentimes, I want to tell you, we do become like our friends. And we need to pay attention to that because if we want to grow in Jesus Christ, if we want to grow in God's way and change this world, it doesn't start with the government, somebody we elect. Starts with us. Look inside your own heart. I look inside my heart. I pray and I think, God, I need to change. Lord Jesus, I need to change. Help me to change today. That's what we have to focus on. That's what we have to do. Stop projecting our blame out there and start looking inside and saying, Father, we need to change and we need to be more like you. So, Father, today, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that your Holy Spirit would change us and help those who have chosen to be Christians learn, Father. Help us to learn. Help me to learn the truth about what it means to follow you. But a lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy. You buy this hairspray and you're going to be happy. You smell like this flower, you're going to be happy. You take this drug, you're going to be happy. You buy this car, you're going to be happy. See, it all tells me I'm going to be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. My purpose for living. Welcome back to the program. Today is part of our assignment. We read Psalm 104 and I really love verses 24 to 26. And it says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. 
The earth is full of your possessions, this great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things, living things both small and great. There the ships sail about. There is that Leviathan which you have made to play there. Now, here the psalmist mentions sea creatures, both great and small. And since I already did a few reports on massive sea creatures, including Leviathan, today I want to turn our attention to a very small sea creature. Because even though it's small, it still showcases the creator's handiwork in a big way. And this little creature is amazing because it has features that you would never expect. And I think we've all heard the expression, you are what you eat. But this little guy takes it to the absolute extreme. Believe it or not, the nudibranch, which is a tiny little sea slug, eats other creatures, including deadly predators, and actually uses what it's ingested as its own defense system. It literally becomes what it eats. Check it out. You are what you eat. We've all heard this saying before, but the nudibranch takes this to the extremes. The nudibranch, a type of sea slug, will ingest sponges, anemones, barnacles, other sea slugs including their own species, and other deadly predators that most other sea creatures avoid, and then actually become what they eat. For example, some will ingest poisonous sponges, store that poison in their own bodies, and then use it for their own benefit. Others will eat jellyfish or anemones and pass their poison stingers right through their stomach and into the surface of their skin, storing them in their tentacles where they can be used for defense. Also interesting is that these tiny little alien-looking life forms are one of the most common and most beautiful in the world. Nudibranchs are gastropods, which means stomach foot, and there are more than 60,000 named species of gastropods living everywhere, land and sea. The nudibranch lives in oceans and saltwater seas all over the world, and there are more than 3,000 known species. They also come in many different shapes and colors. They can be round or flat or short or long. And while some fall into the background using camouflage, others sport vast and vivid colors like bright green polka dots or colorful blue stripes. Although nudibranchs, meaning naked gill, do not have fish-like gills, they do have tentacle-like bulges on their back that they breathe through. They also have very small eyes embedded on their back, which can perceive light and darkness. However, they get around mainly by smell and feel. The two horns on their head, called rhinophores, are chemical scanners that can alert them of approaching predators, guide them to food or to other nudibranchs. In fact, occasionally they will follow the slime trail of another slug or change direction if the chemicals of the slime indicates danger. Although they have shells at birth, they eventually give it up, relying instead on their much more sophisticated weapons. This humble little sea slug showcases the incredible handiwork of the creator, as well as his love for beauty. So it's designs and creatures like this that remind us that there has to be a creator. And I believe this is part of what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Romans 1, 19 and 20 where he said, For what can be known about God is plain to man, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Of course, the nudibranch is also a good reminder that we live in a fallen world, because animals were never meant to eat each other. God originally designed everything perfect, with no death or destruction. But our rebellion in Eden was what broke that perfect creation. 
Now, thankfully, God has promised to one day restore that creation to its perfect state once again. And he's also made a way to restore our broken relationship with him. Because our sin nature separates us from God, and because the penalty for even just one sin is death, he placed all the punishment for sin on himself in the person of Jesus Christ. All that sin was paid on the cross, and death was defeated when Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. Now, salvation is a free gift, of course, but the thing about a gift is that it has to be received. You must receive the gift by trusting and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, that his sacrifice paid for your sins. You also have to repent and turn from your sinful ways and accept Jesus as the Lord of your life. And I pray that you would do it today if you haven't already, because time is running out. You know, uh, time is running out. And this is a, an amazing story, this, this sea creature. Um, but what, what is interesting is you become what you eat. So what you consume, you become. Mm -hmm. And that's like sin. That's right. If you consume sin, if you take it in, take it in. That's what you become. But if you make a decision and you don't consume sin and you try to take in God, that's what you become. That is fascinating. That's, that's a really creature. great connection. It's, it's like you, you know, usually you used to say, you, whatever you feed more grows, grows more. more, right? And yeah. that's uh, exactly what we see. That's, that's absolutely amazing. Thank you, Ryan. That's excellent. Corey. I'm also going to be talking about growing things today, today. Um, and, and you know, Psalm 104 is a really interesting psalm. I, and I want to involve everyone in this. You here, you at home and everyone here at this table. You know, when we're reading Psalm 104, uh, I just want to, I'm going to start in verse five and just read a couple of stanzas, kind of give you a feel of what, where this made my mind go. All right. So verse five of Psalm 104 says this, he, meaning God, he set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment, the waters stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests. The stork has its home in the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wild goats. The crags are a refuge for the hyrax. Okay, I'm going to stop there, but we get this idea that the psalmist is painting for us, that God is creator of the world, that he tames even the wild places, and that he has this ultimate mastery over creation. And weirdly, uh, this, this made me think of a historical figure because, uh, the, in the ancient world, kings, they believed not just in Israel, but in surrounding cultures as well. They believed that it was part of their calling as king to do essentially what Adam was called to do, to take dominion over the earth and to make the wild places 
tamed, uh, to bring uh, order into chaos, civilization into the wild. And we see that in Assyria, for example, very clearly in Babylon, but we also see that uh, in ancient Israel. But in ancient Israel, the king had a further responsibility, right? A responsibility to God to also represent the ways of God to the people. And of course, we know didn't always pan Mm -hmm. out that way. But when I was reading through Psalm 104, specifically looking at God's mastery over nation, it, over creation, it made me think of King Herod the Great. Now we all know, or most of us know, uh, King Herod the Great uh, was the king uh, that he was reigning in the Roman province of Judea at the time period when Jesus was born uh, and died when Jesus was a young boy. But Herod is very famous for his building projects throughout Israel. And a lot of people know that he had a ton of palaces and you can still go see the ruins of his palaces, some of them in Israel today. Uh, But what a lot of people don't know is that he was also very famous for gardens that he planted in those palaces. And I think he had this idea, you know, a lot of people didn't think he was a valid king. And I wonder how much of his building and his taming of the wild and his planting of gardens was trying to prove that like God, he he typified this. And so I have a couple pictures just to share with you all here. Uh, Brandon, could you, could you pop the first picture up on the screen? So this is, uh, these pictures you can see and purchase from Rittmeyer Archaeological Design. So Lean and Kathleen Rittmeyer, they're, they are the king and queen of archaeological reconstructions as far as I'm concerned. But this is Herod's palace uh, at Caesarea Maritima. And Herod loved to build things in impossible places. So this is on the Mediterranean coast just out on a branch of land, a small branch of land that goes out into the ocean. And Herod loved this uh, because it was a really inhospitable place. But you can see in the swimming pool, uh, so it's surrounded by salt water. I'm pretty sure the swimming pool was fresh water that he had piped in from other places. And he had a very large garden that surrounded the pool. And Brain, if you could go to the next picture... Um, he, I mean, he probably has to come back to us and then pop it up, but there are still, see in the, in the center there, uh, you can see two rectangular boxes. Yeah. Those are, uh, planters that were full of plants. Wow. Um, yeah, really, really cool. And I'm a gardener, so I find these things really, really cool. I, I love my garden. But it wasn't just here uh, at Caesarea that he did it. He also uh, had a really cool palace in Jericho. And Brandon, I'm going to get you to switch to that to that picture when you have a second, uh, because uh, Herod. Uh, you see here his his palace at Jericho. It actually was built on either side of the river, and uh, that's one palace. That's one palace, mm. and and um, you you see a sunken garden. He had a huge garden, uh, and he had a huge swimming pool. And so he loved to do the impossible with territory. And and just to prove it, I have one more reconstruction picture, Brandon, that you can go to when you're ready. You guys have been to Masada, yep. right? Yep. So Masada is an ancient fortress that's older than Herod the Great. Hmm. Um, and uh, it's, it's built up on a tall mountain near the Dead Sea. And um, it's so barren there. Yes. When mm. you go there, the overarching color is brown, mm. beige, sand, rock, dust, not much, okay? So this is his northern palace that he built on the slope 
of Masada. It's a reconstruction of that. And if you can believe it, not only did he have a swimming pool up there, he had a Roman bathhouse built up there. He also had a thriving garden that he built in the middle of the desert by the Dead Sea. Okay, Brandon, that's, uh, but, um, and he he didn't just settle for beautiful flowers and greenery. He also got exotic things. They found remnants of hazelnut trees in the plaster of it. Now, hazelnut trees are really popular in, in Italy, for example, not in Judea. So this is the whole hmm. thing. I think I think Herod the Great was really tapping into things like Psalm 104 with the description of God as having mastery over nature. Uh, you know, it's an interesting historical figure, but that's just, I just hope you enjoy it. Yes, that, that, that was good. Yeah. Yeah. That was excellent. Thank you. Excellent. And, and where did you purchase these pictures from? Uh, Rittmeyer Archaeological Design. It's a website on, online that you can go see. Wonderful. They've got they've got awesome reconstructions, but yeah. We got a minute 28 <laughs> for the question. I know, we've got a right. question. <laughs> we are, no, not at all. Not at all. We, we, can, we can hold off. It's okay. <laughs> all right. So here comes the question. Psalm 90 begins book four of the book of Psalms. Who is this Psalm accredited to? So what I'm saying is when you read the Psalm, sometimes you'll see it's a Psalm of David or a Psalm. Okay. So Psalm 90 begins book four of the book of Psalms. Who is this Psalm accredited to? Is it a Psalm of David? Is it a prayer of Moses? Is it a Psalm of Asaph? What do you think? Psalm 90. Mm-hmm. We yeah. are confident. We're very we confident, confident on this one. And yeah. I hope you at home are confident as well. Psalm 90 is a psalm of Moses. And would you concur? Absolutely, 100%. I knew this, but I, I yeah. You just Okay, well, if you agreed with Ryan and Corey and Rod at home, you are absolutely right. Book four is inclusive of Psalm 90 to Psalm 106, and the first one is a prayer of Moses, and it's a great psalm to read, as all 150 are. So, well done. Excellent. And Greg is somebody who watches us on YouTube at home. So, Greg, he probably got that one right. So, anyway, Greg, good to see you. Anyway, uh, very good. Well, BD Family and Friends is a great website. You can get the linear stream. You can also watch the programs on demand, but we have all of our new programs we put on there and we're very, very excited about it. So make sure that you watch it on the Roku or on the uh, Fire Stream or on whatever you want to, but on your computer is good too, on your TV is good too. In the meantime, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word in my life. I pray your Holy Spirit would help me as I try to change my life like yours.